0: A quick warning that this episode contains references to death and infertility. Also, I have a cold, and that's why my voice sounds like this. One more thing stick around after the episode because we got a really good question from a listener, and we'd like you to answer it. So it'll be after the credits.
1: The end of my pregnancy was in the winter, it was an extremely cold winter. And so I was in my house, and it was a Friday afternoon, and I, I knew I was in labor. I was quite uncomfortable and having frequent contractions, and but I couldn't leave the house. It was so cold outside, so I just sort of paced through my house around and around, trying to find a comfortable position, and finally decided... Um, I I just was so uncomfortable. I couldn't eat and I couldn't drink. And I thought, okay, you know, I think that's time to go in. And I called my husband, who was working. And he came home and um, was, you know, frantic and excited and trying to get the car started and get everything going. And for the car that had the car seat in it wouldn't start. This is a movie. (laughs) Yeah, he was so he's panicked, and he's like, oh my goodness, and running around trying to get the car seat from one car to the other car. Where's the bag? The car, the, like, <laughs> yep, oh yeah, the bag was ready. I am very organized. The bag was by the front door, and my husband's like jumping over it. Where's the bag? Where's the bag? <laughs> um, but we got everything in the car and started driving to the hospital. I'm Nora McInerney,
0: and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking the show where we ask people to give honest answers to the question, how are you? And that lady, the one whose husband was frantically trying to find the bag, who was rushing off to deliver her first baby, that was Colleen.
1: I am currently 32 years old. I'm a pediatrician. I recently finished my pediatrics residency. I'm a mother to a beautiful little boy named Henry, and I'm a wife. Um, My husband is an awesome, supportive, intelligent anesthesia resident. I am a sister and a daughter to some awesome parents in Colorado.
0: Colleen's birth story starts the same way every birth story in every movie starts. A call to her husband, a hurried, frenzied excitement. They'd waited for this baby— They tried for eight months to get pregnant the old-fashioned way, you know. And then they got pregnant for the first time with IUI, which stands for intrauterine insemination. And if you're not familiar, the simplest way to explain it is that you take a drug to stimulate ovulation, and then you give yourself a shot, which makes your body release the eggs, and then medical professionals put sperm in you at the right time so you can get pregnant. And even with all that effort... It's not 100% effective. I mean, nothing is really. So when it worked on the first try for Colleen and her husband, that was incredible.
1: Oh, it was one of the most exhilarating moments. I I don't necessarily think that I imagined that moment ever, but when it happened, I was. it just felt like my world just opened up to this whole new experience. Um, I think from that moment, I imagined... 10, 20 years of, you know, my future, just felt like I had this whole other story that was unfolding in front of me.
0: This story was the one Colleen had always dreamed about, creating the kind of family she grew up in, outdoorsy and adventurous and loving. She was in her late 20s and in the intern year of her residency, and so was her husband, so they were working a lot. They were adding to what is already a stressful time for one doctor let alone two doctors and they were so happy
1: a lot of my memories are oh it was so wonderful but i was so tired i my husband and i had so many sort of small moments of just really connecting and being so excited for our child and for what sort of our future was going to be we would lie in bed at night and you know, my husband would put his hand on my belly and, you know, feel the baby move. And we just thought, like, honestly, does it get any better than this? It was awesome.
0: And at that moment...
1: But we got everything in the car and started driving to the hospital. Everything
0: seemed to be going according to the movie script.
1: And it's a, it's the hospital that we both work at. And we went into the labor and delivery triage and got onto the table, um, and we're waiting for them to come in. And the nurse, who uh, is someone that I've worked with and my husband has worked with, was, you know, so excited for us and came in. And there's um, a belt that you sort of strap on around your pregnant belly, and it finds the baby's heartbeat, and she couldn't find it and she went out to ask another nurse for her help and they both came in and tried different positions and couldn't find the heartbeat and then asked that the physician come in with ultrasound and i <laughs> he made some stupid comment about how the ultrasound machine like wasn't plugged in so the battery wasn't charged completely and i just thought like I like. Why are you telling me this? Please, um, please shut up. Yeah, and I he put the ultrasound on my belly, and and he couldn't find the heartbeat either. And in that moment, I remember him saying, "I'm sorry, but your baby died inside of you." remember that he just pushed the ultrasound on my belly so hard and I just was in so much pain and I think it it was all sorts of pain physical pain emotional pain any sort of possible pain that exists in the universe happened in that moment and I just started crying I was wailing I was um it was so unreal it still feels unreal And then, um, attending the boss came in and had to confirm what he had already saw, and she told us the same thing. And then, um, and then everyone left the room. I don't know. I think to give us space. I, I don't know. It felt so weird. It, we just felt like we were just like we were like, were like where did everyone go? Why did everyone leave? Like now, what are we supposed to do? So I felt so helpless and alone and um, confused, and I had no I had no idea what to do I was so scared Um, I didn't even know what was going to happen in the next second of my life and and my husband and I just held each other and cried I don't even know for how long until someone came back into the room and the next part that I remember really clearly is that we had to be moved to another room and I just had so many questions. I said, like, what, what happens? Like, do you get a C-section? Like, how does this baby come out of me now? Yeah. Um, I, I had no idea. And because I was already actively contracting and in labor, the plan going forward was to um, vaginally deliver. And so we were taken into a room um, sort of in the back away from everyone else for this particular purpose um, but my my husband's you know colleague and friend was the anesthesia provider that night um, and so he came in and put an epidural in which was amazing thank God for mm-hmm. pain control in that moment because as soon as I had that epidural and the physical pain was lessened I I felt so much more aware and alert and able to really be present in what was happening. I I was just able to like take my mind off of surviving each contraction and just say like, oh my goodness, you know, here we are in this moment. And then once the epidural was in place, then it was just, we just had to wait for for labor to progress, which um, by this point was already pretty late in the evening. I called my mom. My mom answered the phone first and she, I just said, we lost the baby. And I couldn't, I couldn't say anything else, and and neither could she. I honestly, I don't remember what else we talked about after that. I and and I certainly was crying, and she was crying, and I said, oh, I just, you know, I just need to talk to Dad too, and I just remember him just saying, I'm just so so sorry. We're on our way. Yeah. And then
0: they waited, which is what labor is, waiting for your body to give you the baby that you've been waiting for. It was a normal labor, except that Colleen was waiting for a baby that had already died.
1: And we sat in the hospital room and we just, we couldn't sleep, even though we were tired, you know, it wasn't a moment for sleep. And so we... We watched an episode of Friends, which was, um, I don't know, this like actually sort of perfect way to pass the time. It was a humor that had nothing to do with where we were, and we, at least for brief moments during the time that we were watching, had something else to think about. And then I started feeling a lot more pressure, and it was probably around, I don't know, one thirty in the morning. And that was, you know, was the time to push. And so I've been to many deliveries uh, as part of my training. And so I think, you know, my memory of those deliveries is that it's usually pretty loud and people are talking and it's busy and there are many people in the room. And um, my delivery was very quiet. Um, The lights were turned low in the room and there was just sort of one spotlight um, around the bed. And... And I pushed, and um, I just, I remember telling the nurse, you know, I just, I was so scared. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how it was going to feel. I didn't know what was going to come next. And I didn't, I also didn't know if my baby was a boy or a girl at that moment. Um, and so we just kept saying it. We just were like, when they're born, uh, she sort of talked us through it, like, do you want to hold the baby? Um, uh, what do you want to do? And I just, I had no idea how do you answer those questions in that moment in time. I, and I just said, we'll just, I guess we'll just see. Um, and she also said, we will be taking pictures. And she said, if you feel really, really uncomfortable, you can certainly tell me to stop, but otherwise I'll take pictures. You know, other families have found that this is been a huge gift to them. And so, and so I pushed and for anyone that has has <laughs> given birth to a child, that is hard work. Even with an epidural, is a bit painful. And uh, but it was very quiet, and it was I just um, there was just not much movement in the room. And then when my son was born, um, you know, we found out that he was a boy, and um, the midwife had looked up and said, you know, there's there's parts of his skin that are starting to come off. And so I said, "Okay, you know, will you wrap him up? And so she wrapped him up in a swaddle and handed him to me. And that moment is, while um, it's the most tragic moment in my life, it's also one of the most wonderful, honestly, to be able to hold my son. He, in that moment, was just so warm and fit so perfectly in my arms. And he was beautiful. His face was, uh, the rest of him was wrapped up, but his face was perfect. He had this adorable little button nose that was (laughs) just like my husband's. My sister and I joke that, thank goodness, that he didn't get our noses. (laughs) Um, And I thought, ooh, at least he has his dad's nose. And his little cheekbones were just, um, I don't know, I think every mom thinks their child's perfect, but mine was definitely (laughs) perfect. (laughs) and um uh, and i held him and i just i i i told the nurse in that moment i said i just honestly i just don't ever want to let him go ever and my husband held him and and he didn't move and uh we you know put our finger around his hand and a, a living child's hand will by reflex you know grasp your finger that's part of what they do and and his didn't and um and uh we just looked him over head to toe and loved him in as long as we could in in those moments, yeah. When did you name him? We we had uh, had thought about it, a couple names. We sort of had a list, and in the time before he was born, um, we thought, oh, I don't know, like, will it feel weird to use this name now that he's dead? Like, we just, it, I don't know. It in it just didn't feel the same, and so we said, okay, we'll like we'll just wait to meet him, and. Um, we, after we had a chance to hold him it was now like 4.30 in the morning and we had been awake for forever well I don't know we tried to close our eyes which was silly we weren't going to be able to sleep but we as soon as we sort of woke up again from this half sleep I said oh I've just been thinking about the names and I Like, I just think he looks like Henry, and that was one of the names on our list. And my husband just said, oh, absolutely, there's no way we could name him anything else. And in that moment, we just said, okay, it was just, I don't know, I sort of always thought it was, uh, like, people were just sort of making things up, when they said, oh, I just looked at him, and he just was this particular name. But we'd had that experience, and he was Henry.
0: Yeah, I had a a Ralph, and Aaron, my husband hated that name (laughs) until, like, the day he was born. And then suddenly he was like, he was like, I think it fits. Whatever yeah. that means. I always thought that was BS too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you know? They all look the same. <laughs> like, they don't. No, no. Oh, God. Colleen, thank you for doing this with me.
1: It's my pleasure. I love talking about my son.
0: Coming up after the break, we'll talk more about Henry. And we're back, talking with Colleen about her son, Henry. You know who doesn't like talking about Henry?
1: Most people. It's often uncomfortable. Um, it's often sort of an assault to their senses and sort of how they felt like the the world works. And um, I have, you know, shared my story in times and places where people just don't know what to say um, and sort of have this, like, horrific look on their face, like, well, like, now what do we do? Parties? Any situation where someone says... How many children do you have? Do you have children? Are you going to have children? You know, whatever that case may be, saying, I, you know, I have a son and he died, absolutely can be a conversation stopper. It In other places in my life, though, it has opened conversations that I would have never had before. But that's not the norm.
0: Nobody would have blamed Colleen and her husband if they would have taken a break from trying, But that's not what they did.
1: Honestly, in just the days and weeks after he died, we knew that we wanted a living child so desperately. And at first, it was, we really wanted Henry back. Um, I mean, every day I would love if he hadn't died and he was in my life now. But there was sort of a time when it was like, we don't necessarily want Henry back, we want another living child. And that probably was... I don't know, four or five months after he died. Um, And that's when we started trying again. The first time I just wanted it to work so badly, I think I sort of naively thought like, gosh, it worked so well the first time. It's just gonna work so well this time. Like I, you know, it's not how it worked. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, um, The first cycle that we did when I, you know, took a pregnancy test again and it was negative, I just was crushed absolutely crushed
0: it's like the most Um, insulting period you ever have too
1: yeah oh yeah but I just said okay we're like we're gonna try again here we go and so the next month I got pregnant again and that was okay finally like here we go we're doing this again you know this is gonna be it and this is gonna be the living child that we've imagined for so long it's gonna be Henry's sibling we just felt like, okay, our world is opening up again. And um, at the the first ultrasound that we had, I found out I was having twins. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and we were like, holy Ooh. crap! <laughs> we, were like, we wanted one more living child, and now we're getting two. Yeah, like, and we just thought, bring it on, world! Like, yeah. we got this. Like, you know, we thank you, will universe. Happily, we will yeah, take two. Like, great, here we go. And then two weeks later, we had another ultrasound. I know they're not supposed to tell you what they see that. So they take the ultrasound and then they show it to the doctor and the doctor interprets the ultrasound. And, but, you know, they know what they're looking at and I knew what I was looking at and there were no hearts beating. And I knew that, you know, when I saw it on the screen that it wasn't right. And I just thought, Like, please just tell me now, like, why are you making me wait in this awful limbo for the doctor to come in? And I'm sure it was only, you know, a couple minutes until she came in, but it just felt like eternity. Um, And she was so kind to us, but, um, you know, told us, I'm sorry, guys. Like, yeah, she didn't see a heartbeat. And I just, I mean, I was floored. I just was so, I just thought, oh, I can't, I can't not believe this is happening again.
0: Colleen was eight weeks along, and she had the same three choices I was given when I miscarried my second child. She could miscarry naturally, which means just going home and waiting for it to happen. She could take a medication to expedite the miscarriage, which means going home and Waiting for it to happen sooner. Or she could have a DNC, which is a procedure that terminates the pregnancy immediately. And that's what I chose.
1: I had to make a decision sort of like right then and there. And I, I didn't, I clearly, I had no idea what was going to be the right decision. But I felt in that moment that. I had so many really strong, like really hard memories of bleeding at home after my son died that I just, I said, I just, I can't do that again. I can't imagine doing that again. And so I decided to have a DNC that afternoon, which in retrospect was absolutely the right choice for me in the moment. And then the next day, you know, I mean, we're still supposed to work. We both just called and said, like, we're not showing up for work. And we just had this overwhelming feeling like... We have got to get out of town. Like, we just have to leave. So we, so we woke up the next morning, and we just got in the car, and we just drove straight to the ocean. I went to a party that night. Wow. And
0: like, How did you do that? Aaron had, like, a—it wasn't a poster show. It was, like, a T-shirt show in Minneapolis. And no one had known I was pregnant. And I knew that he was dying, and I didn't want him to, like, miss out on, like, a thing. And so I was like, oh, no, I'm fine. But I just remember being there and being like, oh, I have this secret that none of you know. Wow. Did you tell anyone that night? I didn't tell anyone that night. I didn't tell anyone. It's so weird. And my sister knew. She came with me. And I remember about mine, how kind the doctor was and how nice the nurses were and how I just felt like so loved. Like by all these strangers. And I remember that they like all cried too. Mm -hmm. Um, which I was like oh I guess this is sad I just hadn't gotten to feel anything yet because it just didn't feel like it could be possible
1: I think like for me sometimes I feel like I have all these images of what it is that I missed my hopes for the future and sort of what a pregnancy would look like, what a child would look like, sort of what, how they would grow up, all of those things that you imagine. And then nobody else even knew I was having any of those thoughts and then they're all gone. Right. And sometimes it's like, okay, so like, it, d- did it, did that all still exist even though nobody else knew? Yeah. You lose this like whole
0: like future that you'd built That was just for you and your husband and your family at Mm -hmm. the time. And it is real, too. Yeah. Um, But it's just not as real to anybody else. Yeah. Are you still trying to have a living child?
1: Yeah, probably. Uh, Six months after that miscarriage, I had another miscarriage. This time it was much earlier. Um, And so I... I didn't have a procedure. I miscarried at home. And then our physician recommended that we start um, trying IVF. We've now been through two IVF cycles so far um, without any success, which is uh, heartbreaking. Every single time is heartbreaking. Um, And so we're still trying. If you're keeping track, this is one stillbirth
0: two miscarriages, and endless heartbreak. There's a medical term for this level of loss. It's not just terrible luck. It's called secondary infertility.
1: Basically, it's the idea that um, the first time uh, the first couple times you get pregnant you didn 't need any assistance, and then afterwards um, you struggle with infertility um, and all that that entails the multiple months of trying the interventions the you know medications the hormones, the shots, the um, ultrasounds yeah is it related to henry 's death then i i don't know um, i don 't uh, in my my heart in my gut i don 't think so. The reason the physicians feel like Henry um, died is because his, so a normal umbilical cord is coiled. And if you think about it, like the, the coil of a telephone that's connected to the phone, it sort of is coiled so that it is less susceptible to kinking. And his umbilical cord was straight. It didn't have any coils in it. So his umbilical cord was more susceptible to being kinked and having the blood flow stop. And that's not something that there's any genetic test for, that mm-hmm. there's no marker. That there's, It's quite rare and unlikely to happen again and shouldn't prevent us from being able to conceive. So in terms of the struggles that we're having with infertility, we don't really have an explanation. Mm-hmm. At this point, I think it's
0: worth reminding everyone what Colleen does for a living. She's a pediatrician. She spends all of her days caring for other people's sick children. She is surrounded, all day, every workday,
1: by children and by families. The reason why I went into pediatrics is because I think kids are awesome. And uh, that's different from having my own kids. It's mostly the experience of working with other people's children. And I really genuinely enjoy that experience every day. Kids are smart. They're intuitive. They're funny. They're honest. They're brutally honest. Um, and they really are, bring a joy to my work every day. Some days it's sort of bittersweet, and I think, oh, I just, I want that for myself, too. I want, like, the four-year-old who just, like, totally knows how the world works. Like, I want that. and. In some days, you know, it's very challenging. And I certainly spend time with families that are struggling to raise their children for families that weren't planning on having children um, and families whose kids are sick, who are very sick, um, and are heartbroken because their children are sick. And that is a challenge as well. And it's complicated. I mean, being a doctor is giving a part of yourself to other people every day. And on days when I don't feel like I have a lot of energy for myself, um, it's hard to give what little energy I have left.
0: Do you think being on the patient side has helped influence the way that you doctor? Is that a verb? uh, Has it influenced you (laughs) as a doctor and, like, your empathy for your patients and their families?
1: Yeah, I... You know, the part that I really connect with that makes me feel so different about the way that I practice medicine is the feeling that I have about being a parent. Not so much even being a patient, um, but being a parent and really um, having that feeling inside of me that I know that I would do anything for my child. I would literally, you know, give my life up so to have my son back, like that, that sort of overwhelming, like, I would do anything. Um, I feel like I know that feeling. And when, you know, when families come to me and just are so worried about their child who is sick, I really um, can connect with that. And I think in a way that I wasn't able to before Um, I know that I'm not the same kind of parent that they are. I mean, I I parent a child who is dead, who isn't living, um, and that's different. But the feeling of of really genuinely giving your heart and your soul to your kids is the same. Um, And I really connect with that.
0: I'm a person who is married to a dead person. I will love and cherish my dead husband, even while I love and cherish a new love. You don't stop being married to someone just because they die. And you don't stop being a parent just because your baby dies.
1: It's hard. For my husband and I, it means really acknowledging our son in our life every day. That he physically was a part of our life, but the rest of his being whatever that might be his his soul his spirit I'm not really sure what the right word is is still really a part of us every day the time of year that he was born was in the winter time and in New England it's sort of the light is very low on the horizon and it creates this sort of yellow hue and so those sort of yellow sunsets really have always reminded us of Henry and so um, when the sun sets in that particular way we call it a Henry sky and um well you know tell each other oh look you know we have a henry sky tonight and um and that's sort of our way of acknowledging that he's a part of us and i think we also try to acknowledge and honor his memory in our work and the families that we take care of and both of us you know talk about that quite often with each other and how we we use you know sort of his spirit and helping other people um and then a third part of really, I think, being the best parents we can be is, is sharing our story um, so that others feel us alone because it's uh, an isolating process. How is your
0: relationship with your husband different now?
1: Um, in some ways, actually in most ways, has really... Brought us a lot closer together. We have had so many tough discussions. We have had so many moments of, uh, you know, sharing the worst moments of our lives together. Uh, We have been at our most vulnerable together. And we have been learning to talk about how we're feeling, what we need. Um, how we can support one another, how we can find support for ourselves outside of our relationship and talk about what our future um, may look like and what we might want. And those are, I, I think, you know, it's a lot of years wrapped into the last couple of years of a relationship. And in many ways, I think that we are, much, much stronger for it. Uh, but we have been through a lot and it takes a toll. I mean, being medical residents means, you know, lots of days and nights that are busy, that take a lot of energy, that are lack of sleep, of food, of rest, of, you know, rejuvenation. And that's hard. You know, we certainly have our arguments. We certainly snap at one another. We certainly um, are not perfect. Um, but we have made a renewed commitment to one another often and over the last couple of years that we're committed to our relationship, to our marriage, to our child, and to our future children. Colleen's story is distressing.
0: It seems like too much for one family to go through. And it is. But it isn't. Because these things happen way more often than we think they do. One in 160 pregnancies end in stillbirth, which is horrifyingly common. 10 to 25% of clinically recognized pregnancies end in miscarriage. And one in eight couples have trouble getting pregnant or sustaining a pregnancy. And I can't give you a firm percentage, but we get a lot of emails from people asking us if we're planning to talk about infertility, about infant loss, about miscarriage. In other words, baby stuff is hard for a lot of people. It's hard physically, it's hard emotionally. I have two living children and I still cry for the baby I lost and I think I always will. So my heart breaks for Colleen and her husband and for all the people I know and all the people I don't know who are familiar with this kind of pain. People describe parenting as watching your heart walk around outside of your body. I think trying to be a parent is just as vulnerable. It's hard to try for anything in life. Trying is risky. It means reaching, grasping. It means carefully balancing your hopes and your dreams with reality and statistics. It means Effort with no guaranteed outcome. But Colleen and her husband and thousands of people just like them keep trying. Even if it means breaking their hearts over and over.
1: There are many reasons. I think one, the overwhelming feeling that I have is that I I want to be... A mother to a living child, and I know that that can come in many different ways. Um, But I had the experience of giving birth to my son and holding him in my arms, and I want to try to have that again. Until that's absolutely not an option, I will keep trying. Um, Right now, the alternative of of not trying is not an option. In sort of the way that we view how our future looks it's something that I talk about I grapple with on a daily basis like are we doing the right thing is this too much should we try something else should we take a break but I can't imagine um, not trying at this point in my life I am still incredibly hopeful, and I, I feel like as long as I sort of have that feeling within me um, that I'm excited and I am hopeful and that I want to keep trying, I feel like that's half the battle. Um, and so, you know, I, that's why we keep doing it.
0: This is terrible. Thanks for asking. Our producer is still Hans Buto. Can't get rid of him. I've been trying for weeks. This episode was mixed by Corey Shreple. Special thanks to Stephen Smith and Curtis Gilbert for listening to this show, giving me notes and making it better. I appreciate you. You can find us at TTFA Podcast on almost all social media. You can rate us on iTunes, or just if you see me, you can tell me what you think of it. You can support the show more directly with a donation. That's where the public in public media comes from. You, me, my son Ralph. That's what helps keep us going. And for your generous contribution, we will send you a cool t-shirt. It's a TTFA t-shirt, not just like a t-shirt I have lying around. <laughs> I'll send you one of my personal t-shirts. You can find all the information on our website at ttfa.org. Our theme song, that song that's been in your head for weeks, that's by Joffrey Wilson. TTFA is a production of American Public Media. Hi, Ron. Thanks for sticking around. We got a really interesting message from one of our listeners. Her name's Alicia Aubrey, and she had a really interesting question that I'd actually like all of you to answer, if you can. So here's the background. When she was 19, her mother had a series of strokes, which meant that she had to have six different brain surgeries. She had to get part of her brain removed, and all of those things changed her mother. So her mom survived, but is different. And three months after all of that kicked off, Her father had a pulmonary embolism and he survived because he happened to be in a hospital waiting room when it happened. But this happened when Alicia Aubrey was 19 and she ended up taking care of her parents and doing most of that work. So her story is different because everyone is fine. I mean, they're alive. And now I am 25 years old sitting in the parking lot of my building in Chicago with Taco Bell on the front seat because my self-esteem and my self-worth is shot. And apparently I'm doing good. People on the outside say I am. But am I, if everything ends up being okay but you're still not okay, is that okay, <laughs> to feel those emotions, to feel that hurt? I don't know. I just, I don't know. Is it okay to not be okay when everyone else is okay, I want to hear from you. I want her to hear from you. So record your answer on your phone, or I guess if you have fancy recording equipment, you can do it that way. Your phone will do. Record an answer and send it to us at ttfa at americanpublicmedia.org. We are hoping to get some answers that we can use on an upcoming episode.